0: we are community. Welcome. This episode is about my journey these last three years as a digital nomad, mainly in Europe. Something that I kind of sort of planned, but I didn't plan at the same time. It's that thing of, as you're busy making plans, God is laughing at you. But it's been a most interesting and quite beautiful and sometimes scary journey. But yeah, I'm coming on to share with you. My journey as a digital nomad. Well, wow. I'm currently in Bath, England, in the UK. Been here a week. I'm here until the end of October, and then I'll be returning to Brighton. Brighton is considered the San Francisco of the UK, which I had been told a few times before I actually got to visit it. And I would agree. For what I could see, it's very bohemian, very kind of funky, eclectic. I definitely think it's a great city to visit and kind of absorb the energy that's there. I was there for two weeks. Yeah, I've been a digital nomad for three years. It's something that I signed up for. I have to admit, I was a bit romantic about it when I first embarked on this journey, knowing a little bit about what a digital nomad it was, but not really understanding it fully, I guess, as one can't until you actually live it. Just to give you a brief overview of what a digital nomad is, a digital nomad is someone who works independently, usually, or freelance and works remotely while traveling. It's really reawakened a lot of things for me professionally and personally, mainly professionally and creatively. Kind of returning me back to a life that I wanted when I was a lot younger. But just to give you a little bit of a history about me as far as my history with travel, I love traveling. I really do. The first time that I traveled outside of the U.S., I'm originally from Phoenix, Arizona. But yeah, I first traveled outside of the U.S. when I was a senior in high school. I went on a school trip to London. And that was a great awakening of the world of international travel. How that came about was my English teacher announced in class. It was the fall of my senior year. There was a trip that teachers from other schools were planning and students could be invited on them. And I just was like, yes. At that time, I had really gotten into music, something that I had discovered for myself, my own taste in music when I was about 16. I was really into this group called Five Star, this black British family group who were considered at the time the Jackson Five of the UK. It was a brother and sister group, five of them, that I discovered when I was about 15. And at the time, I didn't know that they were from the UK coming from Phoenix. They just looked very cosmopolitan, very chic. I actually thought they were from the East Coast, possibly New York. And I remember one day I was passing by the television and I glanced at them and then I heard this English accent and I was like, what? It really awakened for me that there were Black people in Europe that looked similar to me. Maybe a year or so prior to that, I had discovered the singer Sade, who's one of my favorite female singers. She's Black, Nigerian and English, but she didn't necessarily look like me. Definitely love her music. I'm still a huge fan of hers. But when I saw Five Star, when I discovered that they were from the UK, they looked more similar to me. It opened my world to the fact that Black people live outside of the United States, outside of the continent of Africa. When the teacher announced that this trip was going to be planned for spring break the following year, I was like, yes, we had to secure the trip. I think it was a $250 deposit, non-refundable just a brief history about my family. I come from a small nuclear family. My mom and my stepdad and my brother and sister, my youngest sister, my mom was pregnant with her. A protective family. Coming from that background, I was aware enough to know that I couldn't just come home and ask her, mom, can I go on this trip for nine days to England? I don't know if it was the best way to do it, I was working part-time during summers, a couple of years, and had a little bit of savings in my savings account that I had access to. So I pulled the money out myself and told my teacher, yeah, my family says I go. My mother and my stepdad said I can go. And then I came home and eventually told my mother that, oh, guess what? There's a trip plan for England for spring break that my teacher announced and just kind of rattled it out very quickly. Oh, and by the way, there's a $250 non-refundable deposit that I put down on it, and there you go. <laughs> And I remember she looked at me, she just kind of smiled and she said, well, okay, it's set then. You need to get a part-time job to kind of help with this and we'll give you some money. And so I worked a part-time job at the grocery store and made it happen. Yeah, it was actually, I think my first time traveling on a plane. We flew from Phoenix to Los Angeles and then from Los Angeles to London. I was so ready to see the world outside of Arizona. I was this kid who, whenever I would see these interesting destinations, I was like, yeah, I want to visit there. I want to visit there. I want to go there. Another reason why I wanted to visit England was because, you know, I had this secret passion that I hadn't at that time revealed. But when I was about five years old, I remember watching was the uh, 1967 film To Sir With Love, which starred Sidney Poitier. When I saw that movie for the first time, this was around 1975, I loved it because of him. For me, he represented this dignity and this class as a Black person, as an actor that I wanted to embody. I said to myself, I would love to be an actor like him. He really held his own as a presence, as an actor, as a person. I would later Read the book that that was based on by the same name, To Serve with Love, and really understand what that story was about, what the main character's driving force was as a person, and definitely as a Black person. So, back to my senior year of high school, that was a nine day trip, but I just soaked it up. I just was going everywhere I could. I really wanted to absorb the culture of London. Yeah, that just really wet my appetite for specifically international. Around that time, too, I discovered James Baldwin, the Black American author, James Baldwin, and discovered that he spent most of his adult life living, I think, in France. Another example of a Black person, a Black American person in particular, who expanded his horizons, who left the shores of the United States. Living abroad for me was more of a fantasy at that time. Coming from the family that I came from, I was definitely encouraged to excel. I was definitely encouraged to thrive, but I didn't really see the possibility of me living abroad. But the spark was there. Arizona has three main universities, so I went up to the one up north. I really wanted to go to New York, and I actually got accepted to a few schools there based on my grades. But I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to believe in a world bigger than Arizona. I started school as a journalism major. I always loved writing. That was always something as early as I can remember that people said I would be really good at. But I still have to see this desire, the secret passion. I really wanted to pursue acting. But I felt like for who I was or who I am, I should say, because that's part of this journey for me is it's helping me and encouraging me to accept and embrace who I am. I am somebody who would be considered more of an introvert. I love meeting new people, but I'm not naturally a gregarious person. Definitely at that time in my late teens, I was just very, very shy. Somebody who was most comfortable in the classroom. But I didn't believe at that time that I was a creative person because I'm more on the subdued side. most people that I saw who said that they were creative were much more gregarious. They were much more colorful. They dressed in a way that I felt represented what a creative person looked like. I was not ready to believe that I could really go after what I wanted to do. My first year and a half, I was a journalism major and I was good at it, but something about it didn't feel organic for me at the time. It was I think one of the first times that I really went through this period in my life where I had to really sit down with myself and say, what do I want, regardless of what the expectations are of me? For me, my experience is that in those moments, it's like a shedding of a skin. It's a layer of the onion that is being peeled. And it can be uncomfortable. It can be a little painful at times. That was my first real awareness as a young adult of needing to do that. I decided to switch from being a journalism major to studying theater, something that I had dabbled with a little bit my last year of high school and then coming to Northern Arizona University. I was in a couple of the productions at the school. I started to audition locally. I knew for me, it was what I really wanted to do. I really wanted to go after And when I made the decision, it was just a sigh of relief. I can keep going. There was one teacher. She was honest with me in a way that I needed to hear what I needed to hear. At the time, I was the only Black person who was auditioning for and being cast in a couple of the main stage productions, but some of the more independent productions. She said, you know, I believe you're a good actor. I can see you have a drive. I can see you have a passion for it. This doesn't really represent the real world. And yes, you will get experience here as an actor, but as far as casting, I don't know if this will necessarily represent what you'll be pushed towards auditioning for. I don't necessarily agree, but I got what she meant. She suggested for me that I study at the University of Arizona, which was in Southern Arizona in Tucson. And so I did that. And that was an amazing experience for me because that particular program represented at the time what life as a working actor is. You had to audition to get into the department. And then you also had to audition every semester to make it to the next level. And if you didn't make it, then you had to leave. Game on, I was ready for that. I got to, I think, the fourth level. I was a couple of years in, but I was feeling restless. I started to go off campus and audition for projects in community theater. I stumbled into the Barbuglia Williams Performing Company. What I didn't realize was that these productions were being written up in the local paper. The only other Black guy in the department, he came up to me You're being written up in the paper. Would you let me know when there's the next audition? We just really connected and fed off of each other's desire to represent ourselves in the best way as Black men. I guess I wanted to see myself. I knew that there were people like me, individuals like those in my family, those in my friendship network that I wasn't necessarily seeing in art and media. There were some comments that I had heard throughout my life that I was an Oreo, that I wasn't Black enough, that I was trying to be someone that I I wasn't. I didn't know at the time how to stand up to that, or more importantly, just to say I respect that person's opinion. I know that is not who I am. I was starting to struggle with a lot of identity issues. Another one, too, was that I wasn't yet ready at that time to come out as a gay man. I was quirky (laughs) for some people. I was just really itching to get out of Arizona. I believe that was part of the challenge for me, was that I needed to leave Arizona and maybe find myself somewhere else. My friend at the time, I didn't preface this, that we Made a decision the fourth semester in the program that we wanted to drop out of college and just really try our hand at being professional actors. And so we dropped out of school and moved to L.A. I was getting some good auditions. I was being sent out for commercials mainly. But because of my insecurities, I wasn't able to really crack the surface of myself To be more of myself and to own who I am, over the next few years, I just got smaller and smaller internally. And I didn't like the struggle. And I think part of that, too, had to do with I came from a family where we moved around a lot. Back to being in L.A., I didn't like the struggle, feeling insecure financially. And so I, about a year after moving to L.A., I plugged into getting a full-time job, working in an office. Because I wasn't giving myself permission to ask myself what I wanted, it brought me into a dark place. I spent the next few years just kind of doing that and using drinking and isolating to deny myself of just being myself. In my late 20s, I looked at all those issues. I came out as a gay man. I had a, a rebirth in a way, which is still fueling who I am today as a black gay man. To tie it into travel, I never lost that desire to see the world outside of the United States. What wet my appetite again for traveling was a co-worker at that company that I was still at. I mentioned to her, I was like, oh, I wish I could travel. I wish I was like you. Every time I was talking to her, she was going on the East Coast. She was going to San Francisco. She was going to all these great places. Then she started to travel outside of the U.S. and went to China and I think Thailand and a couple of the countries in Asia. She sat with me one day and she's like, look, I'm tired of hearing you complain about wanting to travel. I'm going to be in San Francisco in a few weeks. Get a ticket, get a hotel room. I'll see you there. They reintroduced me to my love of travel. I'm grateful that she was the one that encouraged me to do that because she was a Black woman who didn't let society's expectations of her getting the way of living her best life so when i discovered san francisco for the first time as an adult in my early 30s i was like yes this is a place i want to live i spent probably the next few years just telling everybody in my friendship circle that oh i would love to live in san francisco but what i was waiting for at the time was for somebody else to come with me in particular a romantic partner i still I assumed that I needed to be partnered in a romantic relationship in order to go after dreams like traveling. I didn't think I was a dynamic enough personality to travel by myself or to live in a new city by myself. How international travel was reintroduced into my life was that in 2007 my dad got sick. He was somebody that really encouraged me to pursue my dreams and to go after my passions. One of the last hospital stays, I'd come to visit him. He, at that point, knew that he was dying, and he said, "You know, I want you to do something for yourself. Give yourself permission to travel." My dad died at the end of 2007, and the following September, I went with a friend who had been planning a trip to Spain. Nat reintroduced me to international travel. Twenty years had passed, and I got on a plane and was able to leave the United States once more. And I saw Barcelona, I saw Madrid, I saw other cities that just really reignited my desire, my passion to travel and also to possibly live abroad. I do want to be realistic about the realities of racism and of my personal and emotional safety. And so when I knew that this trip was coming up, I started to research Black Americans who travel in particular The name of her book is Kinky Gazpacho. I can't remember her name right now, but I'll mention it in the description. And she's a Black American who lived in Spain. I really love that I found her book about her experiences and her time in Spain because that gave me the push I needed to believe that if I visit Spain and feel like, oh, this is a place that I could live, then why not and go for it? But again, I was still waiting for other people to travel on this journey with me. (laughs) It would be another four years before I would do any international travel. My next trip was to Montreal, Canada. That was in 2012. That was the first time that I traveled outside of the United States by myself. I boarded a plane and left the borders of the United States by myself. Coinciding with that, my best friend from high school He and his husband had started to plan these road trips. It was like a perfect storm of things. Not only did I get to travel outside of the U.S. by myself, but I also started to see more of the United States. I'm really glad that I had the opportunities to travel with them, see states that I never really thought about visiting and cities that I never really thought about visiting. It would be another three years before I would leave the United States and travel again. My next time traveling was August 2015. A friend of mine had gotten into triathlons and was doing the Ironman in Copenhagen, Denmark, and asked me if I would come with him to be a support. And that came about kind of at the last minute, about a few weeks before that trip, because initially his boyfriend at the time was going to go, but then that relationship ended. I do believe that was one of those fork in the road moments for me, because. I am somebody who is a planner. Something that I'm grateful that this journey, these last few years as a digital nomad, is helping me to soften the rings a little bit on that, to be a little bit more spontaneous. And so when Tommy asked me in 2015 to go, initially I thought to myself, "There's not enough time. I don't know anything about Denmark. I never even thought about going to Scandinavia." But when we parted and I walked back to my apartment, I'm not a religious person, but I definitely have a spiritual connection. I believe in the positivity of the universe. And this voice inside, this positive energy for me just said, well, why not? Let's go for it. So I got a ticket that was going to get me there a week before Tommy. I shared with a work colleague, a Black woman that I knew from Sweden. She grew up in Sweden. She said, well, why don't you make a side trip to go to Stockholm to go to Sweden I definitely recommend it so I got a ticket got accommodations in Stockholm visiting Stockholm for the first time was like a wow moment for me it was the first time that I landed in a city where I really felt the energy there I remember being on the train not even seeing the city yet but being on the train traveling into the city, and this voice inside was like, oh, I could live here. Swedes are known to be somewhat reserved, at least on the surface. I definitely can connect and relate it to that. I didn't know really at the time. I just really liked the vibe there, and it felt so relaxed for me, and especially coming from LA, where I've been at it for a long time. When I came back from that first trip, I told my work colleague, she just watched me gush. And I remember she just had this smirk on her face. And she was like, yeah, well, you went in the summertime, but you know it does snow there. and it gets quite cold. She said, I recommend you visit in the winter. I right away booked a trip to return in the winter a few months later. Visited Stockholm for the first time in the winter in 2016. I just kept coming back and forth. It reawakened for me a desire to live abroad. And I think for me, I believe an awareness that this is part of my journey. It's like when I left the U.S. for the first time in high school, I think I always knew some of the things that really felt right and organic for me. But I'll say as a Black person, in particular as a Black American, I thought, well, no, I can't do that because I'm Black. Even though that wasn't like a conscious thought of mine, it was definitely something I believe that was a belief on a certain level that, oh, I can't, as a Black man, I can't live abroad. And I think also because of how I present and because I had heard more than a few times from Black and non-Black people that I don't present in a way that is expected as a Black man, I didn't want me living abroad, and particularly me living in a country like Sweden, where (laughs) there are very few black people compared to the United States. I didn't want that to be another nail in the coffin for certain people to assume that I didn't want to be black. And so I resisted. I was so consumed with what will they think air quotes, but I kept coming. And I kept meeting people, and I started to meet other Black people there. What was also happening around that time as I returned to school, in conjunction with travel, that reawakened these, these passions, these paths, that I can honestly say I saw these paths when I was about 19 years old. My vision, as far as my insecurities, was too cloudy at the time to except that these are my journeys that I need to travel down. Went back to school to get my degree in graphic design, something I had fallen into at this investment banking firm some time ago. It was like the clearing of the forest. It's like, oh wow, this is what I wanted when I was 19 years old, to live abroad and to pursue a more creative profession. Graphic design is definitely something that is a creative profession. Depending on what you go into, and I was working for an investment banking firm and definitely learned the technical aspects of it. But it's not the same as working for an ad agency. So I quickly learned that my design aesthetic needed to be broadened. So yeah, from 2015 to beginning of 2019, I was going to Sweden. I went to Oslo. I went to Norway. Returned to Canada. Went to Toronto. I returned to the United Kingdom. Hadn't been back in the UK since high school. Stuff was swirling inside of me. Like, I just feel like the universe is saying, you know, it's part of my journey to leave the United States to live abroad. And so I started to open up with my friendship circle in particular. And a couple really dear friends at the time were like, I think this is your calling. I think this is part of your journey. I think you need to accept it. But, you know, my particular desire was to get full time employment, similar to what I had been used to in LA for years. Every country has its own talent pools. One person in particular was like, "You know maybe you need to just take a leap of faith." And so that's what I did. I left my job at Bennet for over 25 years. I started there when I was pursuing acting as a file clerk, and in the late '90s, that's when I was introduced to graphic design programs, and it was given opportunities to learn and to grow and expand in that arena. I put in my notice in August of 2019 at my job. And then a month later, I left, at least financially speaking, the safety net that I had gotten accustomed to and I was grateful for. My plan was to give myself two years to see what could happen. I boarded a plane October 1st, 2019, and landed in Stockholm, Sweden. I was open really to transferring my professional life exactly as it was in L.A., to Sweden. (laughs) I was a bit naive on some levels. I didn't realize it would be a challenge as a foreigner to get work. I didn't know anyone, at least professionally speaking, who could guide me or, or suggest people to reach out to initially. I landed back in Stockholm October 2019. A month later, I had my first real emotional catharsis. I knew a little bit about what a digital nomad was. I didn't realize that I would need to process things emotionally. I didn't realize that I had lived alone and thrived and prospered financially since my late 20s. I lived in parts of town that I never thought I could live in in LA and accomplished that. On paper, being a digital nomad is actually really cool because you do get to see different cities, different countries. But there is something to having a home base And so I was confused. I was confused as to why I was becoming not regretful of what I'd done, but it was like I left my safety net. Thankfully, I started to meet people through social media. Actually, before I made this decision, I met two women who have a podcast, Francis and Nubia. I'll put that in the description. There are two Black American women who are lesbians who have been living outside of the U.S. for the last few years. I didn't realize when I discovered their platform that that was the last thing that I needed to become aware of, to believe in the possibility of being Black, being American, and also being gay, that I needed to have those or to see those examples. When I remembered a lot of what they shared about the realities of being a digital nomad, the realities of living abroad, which is not taken away from the beauty and the adventure of it, That helped me a lot when I was going through that period of time in November of 2019. I wasn't giving myself permission to say, this is new, so I need to process this. I'm also shedding this life, at least my professional life in particular, that I have been living for a very long time, you know, over half my life. I wanted to get that life again. I can say today, three years later, I'm glad I didn't because if I'm honest, some of the decisions I've made in my life have been based on a safety that was held up by a lot of fear, a lot of fear, of not so much of the outcome, but more of what people think of me. And I say that now because when I look back on decisions that i made that were based not on that, were based on something that felt right for me, in particular when I changed majors in college or even when I moved to L.A., The way I did it was not the most ideal way, but I really don't have any regrets about that because I feel like leaving the quote-unquote safety of Arizona, Phoenix, which is all I knew, coming to LA was a different animal altogether. And that was when I really felt like I got outside of a bubble. I'm glad I didn't fall into that exact same world. It was based on a lot of insecurities. It was based on me not pausing long enough to say, is this fulfilling me? Is this making me happy? Is this part of a purpose outside of the finance? When those emotions flared up in November of 2019, what that did for me, it encouraged me to really take it to the next level as far as my honesty, as far as my feelings with my friends at the time and with new friends that I was making in Stockholm. And one friend in particular, I really am grateful to. The energy that he gives me, because I was learning how to be more myself, he was able to talk to me in a way, in a language that I could hear and I could feel. An example of that is, I think around March of 2020, right before the pandemic hit, I had another moment of like, oh my God, maybe I should go back to the life I had before. He said something to me in such a calm way, is that picture it. You never left your job, you never made a decision to go after your heart, and you're still there now in that cubicle. I'm grateful to hear him from saying it that way. Again, not judging that life, that world, but for me, him saying that was like, okay, yeah, I really don't know what's going on here. Other than if I pause long enough to feel the energy in the center of my chest, which for me is I feel where my spirituality lies. That still feels very calm, even though I don't know what the outcome of all of this is going to eventually culminate into. At that point, i have been out of the U.S. for nine months or so. And my dear friend, Jenny in Los Angeles, she called me one day and said, I have this idea. You and I should do a podcast about being introverts. I'm good friends with her dad. And when she became adult and got married and started living her own life as a wife and a mother, we became close and discovered that we're both introverts. And she's much more evolved in that arena because her dad is a therapist. And so she just said, yeah, I just think we should do a podcast about being introverts. Even though I had wanted at one time to pursue acting as a career, I'd never thought of sharing about who I am as a person publicly. And so when she brought that idea to me, I was like, ooh, I don't know. I'm a pretty private person, which I'm learning has its pluses and its minuses, too. But uh, I took her up on it, and we started our own podcast called Wallflowers in Bloom. We did that consistently for two years. And what that did for me is it reintroduced my love of interviewing with journalism. One of the things I liked about it was interviewing people. So when we started this podcast, Wallflowers in Bloom, initially it was just the two of us. And then again, just in her way, Jenny was like, we need to branch out. We need to interview other people. And so with Wallflowers in Bloom, that's what we started doing. With us acknowledging publicly our experiences and our awarenesses of ourselves as introverts, and me in particular, this weird thing happened. With me acknowledging that part of myself as an introvert, similar to coming out as a gay man, it's like I became more confident in that part of myself. I became less concerned with what people thought of that. Starting that platform was great. I was a year and a half outside of the U.S. and I was meeting Black people in Sweden and in and, and the United Kingdom. But I started to say, well, where are the Black LGBTQ plus people? And so as a result of working with Jenny for almost a year, this idea for our Black Gay Diaspora podcast came to me as a vision in the middle of the night. This idea started to flow out of me. It was another opportunity for me to be honest and as a result of being honest with myself to share about what I was feeling so that I could honor who I am. Because when I came up with the idea for our Black Gay Diaspora podcast, or shall I say when it came to me, I thought, well, I know I can do a podcast with a co-host, but I don't know if I am dynamic enough a personality to do this by myself. When my friend, when I brought this up to him, he said, "It's a really great idea. Just do it." And it's growing into what it is now over a year later, interviewing such dynamic guests, interesting people coming from all parts of the world, different places in the United States. And that's all tied into me being a digital nomad, to bring it back to that. I think I was still thinking, oh, being a podcaster is a passion project. It's not something that I could really go for as a legitimate career, even though I know that there are people that are able to do that. I didn't initially think that I could do that. I was okay with being nomadic as a means of getting to the life that I had before in L.A., definitely around my professional life. I didn't realize that maybe being nomadic is what I need right now in order to reignite, in some ways, these passions, as I mentioned earlier, that I'd forgotten about. But also for me to become aware I am a creative entity. I am a creative person. I believe this is part of my journey of being an artist was that thing, uh, if you can do something for free and love it, then maybe that's what you're meant to do. And I feel that's where I'm at now with our Black Aid Diaspora podcast. This is something that I love. Being a digital nomad, it's getting me outside of my comfort zone in a way that I believe I need to right now in my life. I don't think I had found my purpose until I left the United States three years ago. I don't believe that I had really sat down with myself in a way that I needed to when I was living my life in LA to say, am I happy? I loved what I learned professionally, working for that investment banking firm, learning what I learned there. If I had stayed exactly in the life that I was living professionally, I believe I would have become somebody who would have imploded in a way that would have not been good for me. I did not have that awareness then, but I do have that awareness now. As a result of having that awareness now, it gives me the drive. It gives me the belief in myself in order to pursue what I want to pursue. As a result of believing in an energy or connected to an energy outside of myself that is positivity, that is love, that is grace, that it is okay for me to believe in myself. That's where I'm at with things right now, as far as being a digital nomad in Europe, traveling mainly these last three years between Sweden and the United Kingdom, learning and growing and discovering and having gratitude throughout all of it. It's connected me to so many wonderful people that I know for a fact I never would have been connected to or met. As the saying goes, more will be revealed. Thank you so much for tuning in every two weeks you have any questions on my journey as a digital nomad, if you have any questions about international travel in general, please reach out. I will sign off by saying until next time. Thank you for spending time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Share with your friends too. You can also follow us on Instagram at our Black Gay Diaspora and on Twitter at blkgaydiaspora. Until next time.